Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, are we revving up the engines at the box office? What is Queeby and why should you care? And is it time to return to Fantasy Island? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows, whether it's the Pop Culture Cosmos. Topicocalypse, the Lakers fast break, and inside sports fantasy football. But it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend. He's our own Mr. Rourke of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, of course, Topicocalypse, and his awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Welcome to Fantasy Island. You know, I was trying to come up with a uh, a joke for that, but I never watched the show, so... As long as you're not calling me Tattoo and well, having I... me say, the, the plane, the plane, the plane. <laughs> well, I mean, if we were both wearing matching white tuxedos, that, that could be uh, something. I'm looking at the... I, I mean, I, I'm seeing that there's new trailers for the movie, so... yeah. Well, that's one of the things I want to ask you about a little bit later on in the show, because... Okay. Fantasy Island, as you and I know it, or what you know, you have a little bit of idea. I don't know it, and what I saw back in the day on ABC is far from being what is going to be presented coming up here in 2020. And we'll tell you why coming up a little bit later in the program. Plus, we're also going to be talking some more good stuff with Disney Plus, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and the possible mistakes EA has made along the way because as we indicated on Friday we had some big-time issues. Well, something materialized from what we were talking about on Friday, so we'll update you with that as well. Google Stadia is coming out this week, and should you care? We'll go ahead and tell you why. People are on the fringe on this. We'll talk a little bit about the future of Google Stadia as it comes out this week. Plus also as well, Quibi, Q-U-I-B-I. Anyways, it's short for Quick Bytes, and we'll talk more about that service, another service targeted for millennials coming up later in the program as well. Plus, we're also going to have a lot more stuff to talk about when it concerns everything going on in the world of pop culture. But my friend, it all starts off with this weekend at the box office. I did indicate on Friday we give everybody an update on what's going on out there domestically and also internationally. It looks like Ford versus Ferrari. 
a film that comes highly acclaimed by critics, something that could be a very good contender for not only film of the year, but for Oscars as well. It's got a lot of early buzz behind it. It's got a lot of people here in Vegas very interested in pushing the odds in its favor. So Ford versus Ferrari with Christian Bale and also Matt Damon took the number one spot at the box office with about $30 million domestically and another 20 to $25 million worldwide. That's normally okay for a lot of films, but this one is kind of different. It needs to have legs. It needs to keep on generating that Oscar buzz because it cost $100 million for Fox. And now that it's owned by Disney, they're not going to go ahead and stand for anything less than a hit. So I ask you, my friend, can this movie, with the kind of buzz it gets, get the kind of reception it needs in order to go ahead and have those legs to go ahead at least maybe till the end of the year or even beyond, have those kind of legs to go ahead and actually turn some kind of profit? Yeah, I mean, I've heard really good things about it, and it's kind of a story that's been elaborated on quite a few times on quite a few car shows, so anyone who is a car enthusiast is definitely going to see it, but it is a famous tale. Like, it's something that you go to racetracks, and there's pictures of both of these people on their walls, and there's, you go on the internet, and you see that you know a lot of the, these fancy cars that everyone loves these days the uh, is the Ford GT40, and I forget, is the Ferrari Italia. I can't remember the exact Ferrari model that it was, but yeah. It's actually a really interesting story because I I watch Grand Tour and they talk about there's an entire episode dedicated to that. So it's actually a very rich story, a lot of history there, a lot of really cool facts in there. So, yeah, I mean, of all the movies that, you know, I could see being worthy of Oscar buzz, you know, I haven't seen it yet. This is a story that is definitely intriguing and it takes two of the biggest car manufacturers that people actually know and talk about and kind of explains how they got to be where they were and it's it's something that it you know it's kind of more uh, if this makes sense it's more relatable than a lot of the other oscar films what are your thoughts on it though do you have any plans on going to see it i wasn't initially because i thought eh, it's all right i mean i am a you know auto racing enthusiast of some ilk i mean it's something that does appeal to me as far as not only the history of of auto racing but all you know whatever's going on in the current environment and congrats to Las Vegas native Kyle Busch on his 2019 NASCAR uh, Monster Energy Drink, whatever there's, you know, sponsoring now, NASCAR deal. So congratulations to him on his NASCAR championship for this year. But yes, going back to the Ford versus Ferrari, I guess so. It's something that I'm going to have to check out now because it is being considered at or near the top of the films coming out this year. So it is something that has already earned advance awards. And it's so funny because all these awards, I mean, the award shows have already started critics awards and things of that nature that, you know, the Hollywood awards and whatnot, these smaller awards have already started giving out their awards for this season. And the year's not even done yet, my friend, that's what blows my mind. I mean, there's no way they could have seen all the, the films like 1917 star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, some of these other films, I don't think they gave out advanced screener for those, maybe for 1917, but still, how did they determine exactly, you know, which movies are, are good enough for the year when, when all the movies have been released yet, or even the screeners been passed out. So it kind of makes me irritated a little bit that all these shows start already and start giving out awards, but Ford versus Ferrari has already been receiving some of this acclaim already. So that's a good sign, gets that push, gets that buzz going forward. I want to be honest with you, my friend, Going into mid-November now, going to late December, 
I don't know about you, but this has been kind of a little bit of a down year for films. I mean, I'm still formulating a top 10 list. I know Ford versus Ferrari. I have to go see it now because it's being thought of in that ilk. But at this point in time, overall, I don't know if you're getting the same kind of vibes, man. But for movies this year, I think it's been a little bit of a down year so far. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that's been... Nothing that's rocked my socks off, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, because we've had like our, our typical... We've had our Marvel films and we've had our our kid films, but we really haven't had anything that one would stand back and go, Hmm, that kind of took my breath away. And again, like, I wonder if that has anything to do with the changing landscape of films and what people are willing to take chances on. But, uh, you know, four versus Ferrari is really the first movie of that ilk that has, you know, made me even think about, you know, Oh wow. This could be, you know, something that people are actually into something that could win awards. I know that Disney is trying to get, some of the in game actors nominated for awards and stuff. But I just like, you, you, you know, every year you get like the, the dramas, the stuff that people are really into your no country for old men, your, there will be blood, your shape of water movies like that. And there just hasn't been a lot of movies out like that this year. And it makes me wonder again, like if this is because a lot of these producers are releasing things independently now, instead of putting it out in, big circuit movie theaters just because they know that it won't get watched or if it's going on Netflix. Cause there's a lot of stuff on Netflix that could be considered for awards too. But I know there's that big spiel last year with whether or not Netflix movies are considered real films. So yeah, we're just, we're not seeing the amount of movies that we have before that would be considered, you know, things that people, you know, would, would reach certain audiences outside of people who love, you know, comic books and action films and things like that. I agree with you, my friend. I mean, that could mean that a lot of things are going to stream, but if like The Irishman and some other films, in fact, like last year, as long as they debut on certain amount of theaters, I think that meets the requirement. I mean, that's just like the the old way of they used to do it. There used to be a film that was very well thought of, but it needed to qualify. So they would show it in Los Angeles and New York on Christmas Day, which is the deadline, which is all you pretty much you need is Los Angeles and New York to show it off there before you go ahead to become eligible for the Oscars. So I don't see a problem with it. If it it does day and day, you know, debut on two theaters across the country, LA and New York, and then also does Netflix to me, it's not a problem. I still consider it a film. A film is a film, no matter what, when you, it goes on. I think that's to me, it's not a problem. I mean, as long as, like I said, it meets the minimum requirements of what Oscars are, are are asking for, and that is L.A. and New York to be shown there by Christmas Day, then you know what? It complies with it, and just, you know, we should go on from there. I know a lot of other people in Hollywood have those issues with, oh, my gosh, it's a Netflix film. It can't be that. Oh, it's a streaming film. It can't be that. I don't really think that that's, that's a problem to me. I think as long as it's shown – either right around the same release date as when it goes on streaming or right around that time, either before or just after, and is shown in the minimum amount of requirements needed to go ahead and become Oscar worthy, then you know what? That's what it should be. So Ford versus Ferrari right now is getting a lot of that buzz, but I think the Irishman, I haven't seen it yet, but I plan to, I know that's going to be on my list. I know there's several different movies that are out there. I know Parasite, if I if I'm able to go ahead and check that out, I'm I'm looking forward to that because that has gotten a lot of acclaim 
uh, as far as not only from international meeting that requirement, but also overall best picture as well. Can you can you give give me a rundown or give us a rundown on what that movie is? Because I've been seeing banners for it, but I know nothing about it. It's about a family that something happens to the family that you know turns their whole world upside down, and just it has gotten. You know, it came out actually midway through this year, from what I remember and what I was seeing overseas. And it's just started migrating over here into the theaters here little by little, but it is getting a little bit larger and larger play here in the States. But it has garnered a lot of acclaim. A lot of critics who have seen it already have absolutely loved it. So I definitely want to get a chance to see it. The Farewell, I know, was also a movie that went under the radar that a lot of people were talking about that hopefully will get back into theaters just in time to get some notice for Oscar season as well. So Parasite basically is something that if you're really into movies with a different kind of beat and you're able to go ahead and just see a film and, you know, as long as it has subtitles for you out there, then I think this is something you can go ahead and check out. I know there are some people who just cannot get by watching a film with subtitles. Are you one of those individuals? Because I know that that's could be an issue with a lot of people. For me, it's not. I just need subtitles and I'm cool. But has that ever been an issue with you? No, I mean, it depends on the pacing of the film. Like, if there's a lot of things on screen that I need to appreciate in order to understand the film or get it as a whole, like, that's one thing. But if it's, you know, with dramas, I can watch dramas pretty easily with subtitles because really just reading that and understanding the characters. But with action films or if there's something like, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Orphanage is something I had a hard time watching. I really liked it, but there's so much happening on screen that I could not watch the movie and read the subtitles and get the same appreciation I as somebody who spoke Spanish, you know? So it just depends on what's happening on the screen. But if you don't have an issue with it, I think Parasite is one of the big movies that you have to see. In some way you can try and get that, because I know still as an independent film that, you know, that, that was mainly released outside of this country that is now trying to get into more and more theaters in this country. It's still not in a whole vast majority of them. So it might be hard for some individuals out there to get a chance to see it, but it is from what I've been told worth watching. And you know, that's a, that's a movie to see right there for you. But again, there are other films like the farewell book smart is still getting a lot of good press. Uh, I know there's some others as well, but I just, overall, I haven't seen the type of films yet that just grab me like it usually does by this time of the year. And I think that's the problem so far. I think it's been a down year overall at the cinema. I mean, Avengers Endgame is still high up there with both you and I. I know we thought well of it, but still being that it might be one of the top films of the year, I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't know. We'll have to see as far as where it lies overall. But the fact that it's not your or my favorite Marvel film, but it's still one of the top films of the year so far for us. I think that speaks volumes about the other films that are out there that have been released, not meeting up to our standards at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. The year is almost over, so there's not really a lot left out there. I will say this. I will say this time last year, especially in December, I did a lot of cramming as far as I got. I I took in on that last two weeks, like over 15 films. So that may, I may have to do that again this year. Yeah, I, I am in the same boat. Like I have, Thanksgiving break coming up next week and then I got Christmas break and I'll probably be cramming a lot of films in that short time that I have off work. 
Four versus Ferrari, it did earn, like I said, $30 million at the box office. It clearly trounced its competition. Charlie's Angels, the remake of that. Another one of those remakes that unfortunately has bit the dust. It might possibly end up, after all is said and done, and the dust settles as far as the final numbers that come out for the weekend on Monday, it might actually end up being fourth, which is a bomb for that type of movie. And again, it's that situation on you know, going back to the well once too often for one of these remakes for every one that seems to hit, there seems to be three others that don't. So, you know what? Hollywood keeps trying to go at it and tries to go back into that. Well, and you know, originality doesn't win out each and every time. And you keep trying going to those properties that it worked one time in the early two thousands, as far as the Charlie's angels movie remake, you know, from the TV show, it worked one time. Didn't work the second time they tried it, and it certainly didn't work this time with the, again, latest reiteration of Charlie's Angels. So that's a shame to see, but you know what? This happens when you go ahead and you keep on trying to go to the well once too often. I will say congratulations because officially Joker is over a billion dollars, making it the first R-rated film over $1 billion, which is a big win for Warner Brothers. I think they're so excited right now over there. Obviously, this is something that they can go ahead and pat themselves on the back. It's also getting a lot of Oscar buzz, so we'll have to wait and see where that falls as far as the best movies of the year. That is something that, again, like Avengers Endgame, was one of the better movies that I saw. But I can't tell you that it was good enough to say, wow, that's going to be one of the best movies of the year. Who knows? Maybe because late in December, we're going to go ahead and shout off on our list of films. So that could be on the list of top 10. Where it falls, not quite sure. But it just seems to be kind of funny that both Joker and Avengers Endgame are getting such great play because of the fact that there's not enough great films to go around right now. But there is still time. There's still a lot of films left to see for both of us. So hopefully we can go ahead and see if there's going to be some major competition to rev up the engines against Ford versus Ferrari coming up during the Oscar season. What are your thoughts out there on Ford versus Ferrari? Did you get a chance to check it out? Do you think it's a, as good as the advanced critical reception says it is? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Plus also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Well, my friend, I wanted to ask you a question. And this is pointed towards you because, my friend, they are calling you a millennial. And in order to do so, there's companies now focused on making things that are trending your way, that are geared towards the millennial generation, that are geared towards you. I am in the past. I am not what they're interested in anymore. So my friend, there it comes to Google and it comes to Quibi. They're both making things that are actually coming out in the not too distant future that are geared towards you. I'll start first with Quibi which is short for Quick Bytes. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. This is going to be a streaming service. Now get this, in its original form, in its original intent, 
It's not going to be available on a TV television type format. It's supposed to be available on just your mobile app. It's just going to be supposedly a mobile app, although I'm thinking that will change, but mobile app that you can go ahead and see shows, movies, episodes, and they're going to be filmed like actual movies, shows, and episodes, but only shown to you, the millennial, or anyone else for that matter, in quick bites. This is the idea of Jeffrey Katzenberg, a Hollywood bigwig for so many years. He's been a part of so many different film companies and, and things of that nature. Obviously, he's one of the great names in Hollywood, and he's garnered a lot of funding from a lot of big studios Warner Brothers, Disney, and things of that nature. He's garnered over a billion dollars in funding, and they've gotten an A-list, an A-list of actors that are going to go ahead and create projects for Queeby. Bill Murray just signed on for a project. Antoine Fuqua, Sam Raimi, Steven Soderbergh, Anna Kendrick, Guillermo del Toro, Lawrence Fishburne, Idris Elba, Don Cheeto, Chrissy Teigen, Tyra Banks, Steven Spielberg. There's so many different big name individuals that are going to be producing, directing, or being a star in these different projects, which again, are only going to be shot like a movie, a television show, or you know, an hour television show, 30 minute television show, or two hour movie. They're going to be shot in that regular form, but they're going to be shown to you in such six to 10 minute bites. So I ask you, my friend, this is something that they're gearing towards your generation. Do you think your generation is going to be geared up for Queeby when it comes out April of 2020? That's a tough question. It depends on what the content is really like. I mean, you know, I've been very vocal about my disdain for Huffington Post and how like they, they do like blog style news and they'll do like their 10 minute video quips and things like that. Like, so it, if it's a news thing and it's something that's like, you know, unbiased, if that's possible, is that if I'm trying to get the facts, not the facts, but like the, the gist of it in 10 minutes, I could totally appreciate something like that. But as for like scripted content, I don't think I'd be able to do that because if it's a movie that's two hours, I would probably wait until the whole series was out before I watched it. If it's something I'm consuming in 10 minutes, you know, I'm not like the typical millennial. I don't, my attention span is a lot longer than that. You know, I like, I even have a hard time with movies that are like an hour and 15 minutes. It needs to be two hours for me. So, you know, if, if I, I'm not the right person to speak on behalf of millennials here, I can understand why, you know, they'd want that because everything's on the go. It's an app, you know, they just flip it on, check it out real quick. For me personally, it's not something that I would get into just because when it comes to storytelling, I tend to be obsessive compulsive when it comes to getting my narratives down. But with other people, yeah, I can see something like that working. If it's done in a novel format with chapters, I can see it being something but at the same time like again it depends on what the content is you know if it's something that you know ends on a cliffhanger makes me want to come back to it that's something i could possibly get into but just the fact that it's on its own app i have to download the app and i have to keep checking it daily i don't know if i could do that if it's a streaming service if it's in something i could purchase on the xbox or you know my blu-ray player or smart tv or whatever that might be more worth my time, but if it's something that I'm just getting on my phone, I don't know if that's something I could get into. What are your thoughts, though? Like, as someone who's not a millennial, is it something that would appeal to you? While you're not the atypical millennial man, I am not the atypical Generation Xer. 
a good thing I'm not old enough to say, you know, for people to say, okay, boomer. So that, that good thing. That's a good thing right, right there for you. But I'm not enough. I'm we not need to, uh, we need to play the Gears of War soundbite right there. Yes. Boom. Yeah, you, you know, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a boomer. So there you go. I'm not old enough. But I am a generation Xer. Or I'm just, I'm in that lost generation age, I think, for lack of a better term. So, anyways. I, I mean, I according to what everything is is coming up on as far as Queeby is concerned, I'm not their target audience, which is fine. I don't I don't have an issue with it. Uh, you know, they want to go ahead and target to a different audience. That's fine. I understand it. I get that. It's all about who you're targeted to, younger audience. Because as my generation gets older, I'm less apt to go ahead and be interested in new types of things. I get that. But as someone who does this show, I'm interested in all these different kinds of things from time to time. Even virtual reality, which I've said, you know, I don't like virtual reality, VR, blah, 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 but you know what? But I'll still try VR. I'll still give it a shot. I'll still be somewhat interested into it. I still want to follow it because a lot of my listeners out there probably are into VR. So I do want to go ahead and follow it. As far as something like Queeby and something that is geared towards a different generation, I have no problem going ahead and giving it a try and seeing how it is. But again, like you, I would like to see if it's good enough for me to consume on a larger, longer basis. I mean, that's just my preference as well. I mean, we talked about what we just saw on Disney Plus this past week, The Mandalorian. And one of the major issues that I had with it was I didn't think there was enough exposition. I didn't think there was enough there. It was it was 40 minutes, went by so quick. You know, and I think that was the intent. They wanted it to go by very quick. So you could just go ahead, you can consume it very fast or whatnot. But I wanted more story. I wanted more exposition. I wanted more universe building. I really wanted to go 20 minutes longer. I was expecting an hour and I got 40 minutes. And I think that 40 minutes was very intentional so that it could cater to, again, the millennial audience. So are you saying like, you know, like I said, it depends on the content, right? Like if it's part of a, you know, an experimental story they're dealing with, that would be fine. But if it's something, you know, they're adapting Star Wars or Spielberg's adapting Jurassic Park or whatever it is, like it wouldn't be something that I could latch on to in that short span of time. I agree with you. It is all about the project and the concepts. So, you know, I it's it's definitely something that I could be interested in giving a try. I don't mind giving it a try, whether or not I would stick to it again or just say, hey, let me know when it's all finished and I'll see the whole entire package from there. I'm not sure yet. I'd like to see how that plays out when it comes out in April 2020. I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And again, when it comes to The Mandalorian, I just was hoping for more universe building. I thought the second episode was better than the first. Uh, I think the first one, like I said, was okay. It wasn't great, but it was okay. The second one, I think, was a little bit better than that and helped build things even more. But again, going back to Queeby, this is something that has garnered a lot of interest in Hollywood. And that is of interest to me because... When you see all these big names attached to projects within Quibi, you see all these studios. And there's several different big name studios. I mean, Sony, I believe, Disney, Warner Brothers, a whole bunch of studios are now attached to projects that are going to be put forth into Quibi. And they've already got a billion dollars in financing just based off of Jeffrey Katzenberg. And, and the idea and the things that he wants to go ahead and accomplish with Queeby, that tells me there's a lot of people behind it in Hollywood. And I'm excited to see where this goes because as you and I both know, with all these different you know, 15 million streaming services out there, 
the one edge you got to have is content. And since in the case of Quibi, you're not going to have a backlog of content. You got to go ahead and have new shows with a lot of big name stars fronting it. And in this case, they will. And that's impressive to me that they're going to get that at least right off the get go. And you know, worst comes to worst, they can go ahead and say, you know what? The mobile thing is not working to a whole. So we'll go ahead and just make it also for the mobile and on television. Or this eight to 10 minute thing, is it working as a whole? You know what? We'll just go ahead and release the whole thing, you know, like a standard streaming service. So they always have that to default back on. And to me, that's something that they have in the back of their pocket they could always pull out. Yeah, it's just, it feels weird to me that they're not just starting it out, you know, on like a Xbox or a smart hub or something like that. Like, is it something, you know, I, I'd have to read more about it, but just the fact that they're charging money for things that are that, uh, that short, it just, it, they're charging the same price as like a Hulu or Disney plus. So why do I want to pay that much money for content that is that short? I hear you because it is being charged. Like you said, with a traditional standard, eight bucks a month, nine bucks a month, $10 a month type format for certain contents, whether to view the content, whether you want it with ads or without. So that means they have a lot of ad support coming up as well. So that's of great interest to me to see all this coming up when it comes to Quibi. So we'll have to wait and see overall what the future holds for Quibi, but it's also coming out in the same month, my friend, as HBO Max. So that's going to be something even of bigger importance when it comes to next year when you and I are talking about, because on the one hand, you have Quibi, this novel idea of how to try to do a streaming service. And on the other, you have HBO Max, which is going to try and follow the traditional format, but it's going to try and charge more than anyone else because it's going to give you a huge amount of content right off the get-go from the past and from the present that you're going to go ahead and try and enjoy. So it'll be interesting to see which of these two concepts, if either, which I think at least one will, will work. So it will be interesting to see what the future holds out for Quibi and also HBO Max to an extent when it comes out in April 2020. What are your thoughts out there on Quibi? Short for Quick Bites. Are you interested in the service? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanic media, and game source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. well. When we come back, it's back to the millennials because we're going to talk about the other service that's coming out. In fact, it's coming out this week, and it's aimed towards millennials. That's on the video game end. We're going to talk about Google Stadia and the future that holds for it coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here. So, Josh, I know you and I talked about it before. It got you almost angry when this was first announced, but I think you're a little bit less get-off-my-lawn type deal when it comes to Google Stadia. It is being released on the 19th for people who bought into the Founders Edition are going to go ahead and get their hands on it. 
But I wanted to say that, yes, while it is coming out on the 19th and is going to be made available, the service itself is going to have some of the features, like, for instance, achievements or whatnot, coming later on down the line. So it's not going to be a full up and running service 100%. But you will be able to play at launch Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Destiny 2, GYLT, Kine, Just Dance 2020, Mortal Kombat 11, Red Dead Redemption 2, Thumper, the recent Tomb Raider hits, all three of them, and Samurai Showdown. Now, that to me is not an abundant library of games. And yes, they are adding a, quite a few more games to that library. In fact, they're adding in another, what, 12, I think 12 to 15 games before the end of the year. But I want to ask you, my friend, if you bought a Founders Edition, you're already paying about $120, $130 already, plus a monthly service. Plus the fact you might also have, to, I, I think you also have to buy the games as well. So really, where does the value start when it comes to Google Stadia? Because I don't see the value, especially the fact that you have to buy the games on top of it. You know, I was, I've been thinking about this too, especially with like Xbox, the, the streaming thing that they're working on right now. There's a lot you have to pay for with Google, you know, and I, I can appreciate the idea that they're trying to make gaming more accessible to people. And that's fine. It's, just, I mean, it's, it's basically console-less gaming. But you're it, it still is. paying it like the console. You're still paying the charges for the console at mm -hmm. a similar price point, and you're still paying for the games at the console prices. Yeah, right. You know, like I said, I appreciate the accessibility and how they're trying to open gaming to a whole new audience, but at the same time, it is expensive. You know, if, as someone who owns multiple consoles, what there's nothing there that makes me want to go out and play the Google Stadia. There's not really anything that's specific to Google. It's just, it, like I said, as a consumer of video games, someone who has multiple consoles, it's it's not, there's nothing there that's pulling me towards the Stadia. There's no exclusives. It's just, it's a, hey, you want to play gaming on the go? And I appreciate that. But at the same time, like I said, you have the Xbox streaming app that's coming out and they're, they're testing it right now. But why would I use Google Stadia and not use that? There's just, there's not a lot there. You know, it's like, in, you know, I love the idea of being able to play Assassin's Creed on the go. But again, like, it's just, it's not really something that I am dying to get into if that makes sense you have a lot more time than i do these days to like research this stuff so what in your findings what is your thoughts on this whole thing like overall how are you feeling about it well the fact that there is going to be no substantial discount to me as far as for since i've already have the consoles i don't think it's of any interest to me at this point when it comes to buying new consoles in the next console generation, I want to give props to IGN for actually recognizing this because I heard on one of their shows that the fact is it might not be a great value now. And even if you add the other games that are coming by the end of the year, let's say 25 games, virtually all of them are, are very easily accessible and can be found at a cheaper price on other consoles and, and PC. So obviously it's not going to be very attractive now. But when it comes to when the new consoles, you know, the Xbox Scarlet or whatever it is they're going to end up calling it, or the PlayStation 5, when those come out and those cost right around four or $500 to buy, that's when something like Google Stadia becomes more attractive and more accessible to not just millennials, but to anybody out there who just doesn't want to deal with buying a $500 console. They can just go ahead and turn it on. Boom, it's right there on their TV. 
and they can have something that is very quick, very accessible, something that's supposed to have you know minimal load times, if at all, and just go ahead and pop right there on your screen. And that's going to include, once they start bringing them out, I'm assuming, and I'm sure Google is going to pay enough to get it, are those games next year that are supposed to be exclusive to the next console generation. So if you're, let's say, let's take example, GTA 6, Grand Theft Auto 6, you know is going to be a next generation type game. If they announce it next year at E3, it will probably come out, I'm assuming, let's say, again, towards the end of next year, right around the time for the next generation. So, or, you know, let's say the next, you know, any game that's coming out in the next generation, let's, let's say, that's going to be not console exclusive. You can go ahead, and if that game is made accessible on Google, you can buy that game. You can go ahead and get the same type of graphics, resolution, things of that nature, be able to pop it on with little to no load times or anything. The latency is going to be great for you and all that nature. So you're going to be able to enjoy it. And I think that's going to be something that's promising next year. And the next year after that, when you have a lot of the kinks worked out because you know As soon as Google Stadia goes live this week, there's going to be issues just like Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus had its issues first day. Google Stadia is probably going to have its issues first day, first week, first month, even first year. I just said earlier, all the features are not going to be available first day right out the get-go for Google Stadia. So this time next year, it might be more appealing. It might be much more enticing for somebody like you or I to be interested in especially if it's a lower value for the base entry unit that you have to connect to your TV, which is not a console, but you can connect your TV and you could go ahead and play with that, which if that is still substantially lower than, let's say, buying a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox, whatever they're going to call it this time next year. Right now, it's not a good deal at all, but no. next year is a whole different story. Well, that's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see because with the Xbox streaming, I think PlayStation's working on something similar if I recall my news correctly. But I'm just, I'm curious around this time next year, especially with all the new consoles coming out, what is, what is, is Google going to be willing to, you know, uh, rearrange their price? Because with the Stadia, you know, I understand the console prices. You know, Stadia is about the cost of a console, but you're not getting a console. You're just getting a controller and a, and a service. So it just, it feels, I don't know, especially with all these new consoles coming out, it feels like it's going to, they're expecting so much for technology that could be left behind once next holiday season rolls around. Well, And that's the thing. I mean, if you played to play Red Dead Redemption 2, you're getting ripped off because you're going to probably pay $60 for Red Dead Redemption 2 on the Google Stadia when literally next week at Black Friday, you can buy it for 20 bucks. So that's that's the thing. You're right there. You're going to lose. But if Red Dead Redemption 3 comes out, let's say 2021, 2022, in that next generation, then maybe something like Google Stadia be more attractive so you still don't have to end up paying $400, $450 for that console. Instead, pay that maybe $120, $130, $150 entry point for Google Stadia. It may be a better trade-off as far as that's concerned, but you're still going to be able to get those next-generation graphics and those next-generation games like you do on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Scarlet. Like right now, there's no value to it. But maybe a year or two down the line, we could be talking a different story. 
Yeah, I agree. I just, I, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're willing to adapt to, you know, the, the new things coming out on the market, especially because this next year before next December is over, the gaming landscape, I feel like is going to change dramatically. And Google Stadia could be like a, you know, a, a height, something that just is left in the rear view mirror. That's the thing. Google has to commit to it because if they don't, Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo will just run them and right off the road. Because we've seen this before, my friend, when we're somebody, an entity tries to get into that same console airspace. For instance, remember that 10 minutes that Android consoles were hot? Remember that about three, four years ago? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, they hit the road faster than you know what. Once Xbox and once PlayStation, once Nintendo made themselves so much more attractive. So, again, it's a situation where Google has to stay committed to it and make sure they get those next generation games. Not the now. I mean, they're going to go ahead and get their share of the games that are part of this generation. But again, Google Stadia is not a great value for this generation. But for the next generation, it might be something comparable And we'll make sure here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, we'll keep an eye on that to see if Google Stadia has a future that's worth your interest. What are your thoughts out there on Google Stadia? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, Josh and I are coming back to close out the show, talking a little bit more Disney+, Plus, some Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, And yes, we will return to Fantasy Island coming up right after the break. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need a listing where we're at because we're being played all around the world, seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, just check it out today, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. I do want to make mention as well, I want to thank Great Cloud Radio for three great years of playing the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. So sad to hear that their station is closing. They're hoping to come back on the air at some point and down the line. We're hoping for that, and we wish them all the best in going ahead and coming back real soon to the airwaves. But we'll have a great announcement coming up on another radio station we're going to be a part of here on our Friday show, the PCC Multiverse. But also, we're on every major podcast outlet as well, so you can get our shows at any point in time. I want to thank everybody from all around the world, all those different countries I see that are going ahead and streaming the Pop Culture Cosmos. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Congratulations, You Suck. So let's get into Black Friday, my friend. Another great gift idea is Congratulations, You Suck. I'm working on some holiday marketing campaigns that everyone will see soon enough. But yeah. If you could do me a favor, go to Barnes & Noble, Pals Books, Amazon.com, pick up a copy, leave a review, tell your friends about it, buy it for your friends, buy it for your family. I would greatly appreciate it. And, you know, as you know, if you want to send me any questions, you can send it to popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or humanicanmedia at gmail.com. 
both things will get relayed to me and I would be ha more than happy to discuss anything, any thoughts you have on the book as well. Just please pick it up, share it with your friends, tell people about it. I would greatly appreciate it and uh, be on the lookout for holiday deals. And as always, thank you. Here's your holiday pitch. Buy the darn book or you're going to get a lump of coal in your stocking from Santa. I know. I got to email the North Pole about that. There you go. There you go, my friend. That is Congratulations, You Suck. It is available right now on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, the Nook, the Kindle, or just head into your local Barnes & Noble and ask them for a copy of Congratulations, You Suck from Josh Peterson. All right, my friend, on the way out, wanted to go ahead and talk a couple more subjects real quick. Remember last week we talked about Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and I thought it was a big issue because very, very, very often when a game's review embargo is not lifted until the day of release, I told you it was an issue. I told you 99% of the time that means we're bad reviews. You know what? This was that 1% of time that there was good reviews because Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order came out to very good reviews. Right now it has an 84 on Metacritic. So the average grade is 8.4 out of 10. And that's a pretty darn good rating right there for you. So that makes me shake my head. You need the advanced word. You need the good pub. If you know your game is good, you're going to go ahead and make sure you get those reviews out there as, as soon as possible, well before the game gets released. So you can get that kind of word of mouth going, getting all that good stuff going. So it can generate income, pre-orders, advanced sales, first weekend sales, all that kind of good stuff. But they didn't, which leads me to believe this that Electronic Arts had no idea how good the game they had was and that they had zero confidence in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. You know, I think they're still kind of shell-shocked from the whole Anthem situation, and especially with a game this big with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. It's, it's canon. It's directly tied into the Disney films. Like, it's just, I think they were scared. But, you know, at the same time, I see now that all of that fear was not justified at all maybe they're being overly cautious but they did not have a lot of confidence in this product they were putting out but now you look at it look at what ign and uh, kotaku and polygon like they're all scoring it really high and saying really great things about it and i have friends who played it you know brian wegner from super bs has played it he's been saying all kinds of good things about it i want to play it i'm probably going to pick it up on friday when i get paid again there's a lot of good things happening around this game and i'm just I don't know why EA had, you know, placed an embargo on the reviews, but it just, it, I, I feel like this is maybe one of those situations where they surprise themselves, like they weren't expecting it to do well just because of, you know, the last few games that they have released and then it ends up doing a lot better than they thought. You said yourself, I mean, you're eventually going to get it, most likely, but you were intending last week to get it right on day of. And I think there were a lot of people like you that were going to get a day up that didn't end up getting it because they weren't sure exactly how it was going to be perceived. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't pre-order it for that very reason. So, you know, I ended up not picking it up. So now I, the money I would have set aside for it, I got, I'm just going to have to wait. And so that means you're counting on, if you're EA, everybody to go ahead and pick it up at some point in time down the road who didn't pick it up because they were concerned about it. And I was talking to Rob McCallum about this, and he said, well, they're just going to go ahead and pick it up Black Friday. They're going to go ahead and pick it up during the holiday season and whatnot. You can't count on that. You're pretty sure you're going to get it, and I'm pretty sure you're going to go get it. 
but it's not a for sure thing. Something could happen. You might need to buy in more holiday gifts. You might see another game that you might like even more. Do you want to play sooner? Life gets in the way of, of so many things that we do that it's never a sure thing. So to have that kind of advanced word is key for a video game, especially because of the fact that making a first impression is so important in the video game industry. First weekend, first week, first month sales are so important to video games because not every game is GTA 5 that will just be on the charts for five, six years. Not every game is like that. Most games, 99% of them, have a finite window of six months or less that they'll be relevant before they hit the bargain bin. So for a game like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, it was very important to go ahead and get that advanced word out there so you could generate that kind of interest. And they didn't do it. And EA, again, I don't know what's going on with them. But if I was Lucasfilm, if I was Disney, I would be ticked off at them once again because they've blown it on Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 plus the controversy with the loot boxes didn't help that matter. They go ahead and they cut Amy Hennig's story-driven narrative Star Wars game and saying at that point in time, and you and I remembered this directly, saying that they weren't going to make a narrative-driven single-story game. So what did they end up doing? They produced a story-driven Star Wars single-player, narrative-driven game. Who was the developer of... She was working with Visceral Games to yeah, do that. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm saying, working with Visceral Games. And they shut down Visceral Games. Yeah, because they were owned by EA. That's why we won't get another Dead Space game. Yeah, so, or not by them, let's, let's put it that way. But yeah, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me what EA does sometimes. And again, they, they're America's most hated company you know, for many years of this decade for a reason. And it just seems that they don't have their act together. And now this game, which is garnering good ratings that they could have given a great start to, is now playing catch-up. And in the world of public relations, that is often hard to do. But... I still think it's going to sell well because it is something that is garnering very positive reviews, some of which may be even game of the year type discussion type deals. So hopefully we'll see that from Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, a game that deserves a lot of love out there from the fans because we finally have a Star Wars game after so long that so many people like and enjoy and can play and call a good Star Wars game. What are your thoughts out there on Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order? Have you had a chance to play it? Or were you scared off by the fact that there were no reviews that came out until the actual day of release? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Got a lot of stuff coming up for our Friday episode of the PC Multiverse. And next week, you and I got to hunker down, my friend, because we got to go through all the ads. Our Black Friday preview episode is coming up. Always gets me excited because, you know, that's my favorite holiday. That's not actually a holiday, which I wish is a holiday. That always gets me excited for that time of year. I was going to say, I'm actually, I've been researching these Black Friday ads already, and I'm kind of excited to talk about it. I am as well, my friend. I am as well. Liking those 65-inch televisions with either Android or Roku on it for a nice, tidy price. But we'll talk about that again later in the week with the PCC Multiverse. But before we head on out, my friend, Fantasy Island, something that I thought was long since dead, but you know what? You're just going to have to come here to Las Vegas and smack me outside the head because, you know, if there's any property out there that's been dormant, 
you know they're going to bring it back. Hollywood just does that. We just dealt with it with Charlie's Angels and that bombed. Fantasy Island is coming back in 2020. And it's coming back as a horror flick. The concept is still there, mind you. Your dreams still come true, but it comes true in such a war fashion that it's going to come through in something that's looking like a horror movie with Michael Pena playing the role of Mr. Rourke. So I ask you, my friend, is taking a trip back to Fantasy Island worth taking if it's a horror movie? No, I don't think so. This feels like a bad idea. It has a bad idea written all over it. Look at Chips. Look at Starsky and Hutch. Look at all these attempts. Um, even Magnum P.I. Look at all these attempts to remake these shows. They haven't Charlie's done Angels. Charlie's Angels, case in point. Yeah, they haven't done so well. So you're taking a classic show that people still love, people have an affinity for, and you're turning it into a horror film. And horror films are notoriously bad. You know, if you're turning it into a drama, you have a, a lot better chance of it being good than turning into a horror flick, which is something that you really have to work hard at to make something good. I don't see anything good coming of this. Granted, I haven't watched the trailers yet, but just from what you've described, it does not sound like anything that could go well for anybody. It is looking like a Hollywood dumpster fire. But then again, if it stays within a low budget, it could be one of those low budget horror flicks that brings in that type of crowd. Now, if it's going to be something as far as a little bit larger, because it does have that licensed property that you know a lot of people are familiar with, that could be an issue. I mean, if you're talking 40, 60, 70, 80 million dollar production budgets, there you get into like eh type of deal. But if you're talking like what we've seen so far with the nun and you were talking about on your topic Oculus, the curse of La Llorona, those type of budgets that are 25, 20, even 15 million dollars, my gosh, you can make money, you know, and have a no problem doing it. But Fantasy Island, I don't see as something that's going to be cheap to make. I see it's something that's going to cost a little bit of money. And I see it, like you do, as a not exactly the greatest idea or greatest way to incorporate that type of license. But again, we'll wait and see when it comes out in 2020. I'm not sure if I'm going to go ahead and follow the plane, the plane, the plane all the way to Fantasy Island this time around. What are your thoughts out there on Fantasy Island, the horror movie? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. What you been watching on Disney Plus? That is a great question. There are some movies that I've been wanting to watch, but I guess they're still under contract with other things. I want to ask you a question before I answer your question. Do you think that... Man, it's like the, we're on a political show or something. I know. I, I Yeah. Who are you voting <laughs> for? Just kidding. So my question to you is, do you think that they should put the thumbnails of movies that aren't on Disney Plus yet, that they should put them up on Disney Plus, giving you the option to add them to your list? Because there's a lot of movies that got stuck them. oh, yes, this is on here. And then it turns out that it was still under contract with another network. And it won't be available till August, September, October, whatever it is of, you know, next year. So I just, do you think that they should have those thumbnails up for people? Because it kind of creates this false sense of excitement and then you can't do it. Like, for instance, Infinity War. Infinity War is not available yet on Disney Plus service because it is meeting other requirements for other services, channels, etc., etc. I would love to go ahead and just take a, for my watch list to go ahead and put it at the watch list so when it finally does come out, that it's right on the queue, right up there. I also want to make note before you answer real quickly onto that is that they should put a history button on there so you can see what you've seen in the past or if you haven't finished something, 
Like for instance, if you're watching a movie and you hadn't finished it and you want to go back to it, you'll be able to go easily back to it by going through a history button. So I just don't know that as well. But you were saying. I got excited because there's a few things I wanted to watch and I couldn't watch them. So I almost just prefer that they don't put those thumbnails up there, you know, unless it's something that I specifically search out. And then they could say, hey, this isn't available yet, but you can add it to your watch list. But don't put it in the list of like movies. You know, if you want to watch a movie, don't put the thumbnail there. As for what I've been watching, I've been watching The Mandalorian. I watched The Mighty Ducks, the the cartoon, watched a little Gargoyles, watched Heavyweights. And then I think I watched The Chronicles of Narnia. But so far, that's all I've really had time to dive into. There are some older shows I do want to watch. I, I've heard some good things about World of Color, kind of seeing how those old Disney properties came to life at Disneyland. But what are you watching right now? Like I said earlier in the show, Mandalorian Episode 2, which after the Mandalorian finds the bounty, basically goes ahead and takes it into a better direction, I think, than what it did in the start. I think it takes a little bit more fun, a little more interesting, a little more action-oriented. I enjoyed it a little bit more than I did the original episode, so I think it's headed in the right direction. Where it ends up going, we'll have to wait and see, but at least it sets you off in a better direction with episode two, I think, than episode one. Especially with the bounty that's right now with the Mandalorian. So Disney Plus has been a great find. My daughter's loving it. My wife has been watching stuff on it. I myself actually went back into the vault and watched something I watched as a nine or 10 year old kid, I think. And that was the movie, the black hole. And I think after I watched the movie, I, re- I just now realized that I think my mind must have been in a black hole because that movie was just, yeah, it hasn't aged well. Let's just say that. In fact, it came around after star Wars too. It was trying to be Disney's attempt at a star Wars and miserably failed. But it was kind of surprising how they kept it a PG movie or at that. Yeah, that time I think was a PG movie. And they, and they had a surprising amount of gore to it, you know, or attempted gore to it. Attempted stuff that, that pushed the limits of PG, which is kind of interesting. I feel like Disney has a lot of those properties. Yeah, I'm still shocked that they did Tron. You know, that was something that I would never associate Disney with. Even, you know, I, I've been reading Princess of Mars with the eighth grade class I teach, and I went in there and they wanted to watch John Carter, so I'm trying to watch it to make sure it's appropriate to show eighth graders. But like, it's also a property that seems surprising to me that Disney went after, but at the same time, I don't like what they did with it. So I feel like Disney has, you know, they have all these things in mind for like, hey, we're going to franchise this, we're going to make action figures, sell t shirts, yada, yada. And then they end up, they kind of overshoot what the movies, what the stories were meant to be. And I know it's not just with John Carter, but a lot of the other properties too. Go back, Chronicles of Narnia, Black Hole, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea even. Like there's a lot of movies that they kind of like overshot what it was meant to be. That they did. But the Black Hole is very interesting for altogether different reasons. Uh, And I guess it's a movie that has not aged well, but it was kind of interesting to relive my childhood like that. I got to a chance to watch Treasure Planet, which is one of the most hidden of all the recent movies that they had. So good. So, such a good movie. It's a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, it's something that I agree with you on. Disney Plus, there's a lot of great things that we've been seeing. I, I plan to sit down and do a Tron marathon again. I just, I enjoyed the Tron movies so much as well. So, there's a lot of things that are out there going on with Disney Plus. If you have something you want to tell us about your experience so far with Disney Plus, let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. All right, my friend, it's been a great episode. 
I sent you an article on what Kotaku said was one of the best months ever for video gaming, which was 15 years ago, November 2004. I don't think that matches up to November 2007. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, Uncharted, Mass Effect, plus Assassin's Creed, and then Rock Band as a chaser. Come on. Can't beat that line. No, and I specifically remember 2007 also because I was working at Best Buy, and not only was it like a good month for gaming, you know what I also remember about 2007 as being that year where the market got oversaturated with Wii games? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you can walk down any aisle at any gaming store and you just see so many Wii games out that they had to like double stack cases on shelves. I definitely remember that too. Finding space for all that was very hard to do. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Hey, Geekazoids. The Metal Geeks Podcast is your source for all things geeky from the perspective of a couple of metalheads. And me, George. That's right, and George. This is Carrie the Metal Geek along with... Brutal Dave. And George Tripsis. Join us as we wax philosophical about our favorite subjects. Yeah, like what? Movies. And TV shows. Video games. Comics. Theme parks. And heavy metal. Join us on each episode as we discuss special topics. George hates metal. And find out what's tickling our little geeks. And much more. Come listen to us as we audibly age in your ear holes. You can find us on the social medias at Metal Geeks and visit us on our website at MetalGeeksPodcast.com. Keep it metal. Keep it geeky. And me, George! You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentfoundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.